this is William Del Pilar, and I am with SportsGrumblings.com, and this is Points on the Board. Some of you know me politically as a conservative Latino, but for most of y'all, I am a pioneer in the fantasy sports industry, helping to pioneer and commercialize it. And it's a fun topic today, because today we are going to talk about what I was actually very good at, fantasy football. That said, that was many years ago. So I have brought aboard today an expert who can get us up to date, tell us all the good info, what's happening. And we are going to break down an actual draft, an expert's champions of champions draft, to be quite honest. And there's a story behind that. But first, let me introduce to you my guest, Juan Carlos Blanco. And as a Latino, I love that name. Juan Carlos Blanco. It's a type of name where when you say it in a nightclub, the women just drool, you know? But first of all, Juan is the winner of the FSWA 2016 Newcomer of the Year Award. Juan Carlos Blanco has been playing fantasy sports for over 20 years, covers the NBA, MLB, NFL, CFL, and the now defunct arena football for various organizations such as nba.com yahoo fantasy.com and rotorwire.com including serving as a beat writer for teams in multiple sports he was actually a writer for my old company kffl.com and remains an avid season-long and daily fantasy player in multiple sports as well juan carlos blanco i just love saying the whole name welcome and, and thanks for being here because i know you are a busy man i rediscovered you by seeing all your work out there in the industry for those out there we call juan a grinder juan welcome aboard it's great to have you here thank you so much william that that's a heck of an introduction to try to live up to but i really appreciate all the kind words and yeah, it's it's been an interesting ride for me uh, in the fantasy industry with uh, a kind of a big, uh, you could say, hiatus in between until I really got restarted in earnest here about seven years ago uh, this month, as a matter of fact, July of 2015. So, so. well, what drove you into, I mean, a lot of people, we all love sports and, and then we all love being armchair quarterbacks. Uh, and there's a lot of people who start out, then they realize how hard it is when you do it properly. So what drove you into this? But more importantly, what's kept you in it for 20 years besides outside of the hiatus? Sure. Well, and in fact, as far as playing fantasy sports, uh, that hasn't really had an interruption. So my involvement as a writer is what actually had a pause. But yeah, going back to your question, I mean, going back to really all the way to before fantasy football was even a thing, going back to the 80s, um, as a small child from about eight or nine years old, when I picked up the NFL, uh, I was already a big baseball fan from a couple years before that, thanks to uh, my dad's influence. But pro football was something I kind of picked up on my own and just uh, became just as immersed in it as I was with baseball. And so I was an avid watcher of pregame shows and everything from the time I was about nine or 10 years old and uh, faithful season to season. Didn't, uh, of course, back then didn't really have uh, any opportunities to play fantasy that we're talking back early 80s, late 70s, yeah. early 80s. But um, eventually going, I would say, probably into the early to mid 90s is when I first had my, my chance already there as a late teen young adult to start playing in some fantasy leagues uh, season long, of course, at that time. And just fell in love with the whole idea, as most of us do, of putting a team together and just a competition week to week. Uh, some of that was actually the very beginnings of that was in the pre-internet age. So that was an interesting time where we would uh, basically do things uh, very differently in terms of selections and so forth and week to week waiver pickups and all that. But pretty soon uh, about 97, 98 is when I was actually participating faithfully in at least one league each year 
through, uh, I think through CBS back then uh, as my first couple leagues that I played in. And that interest uh, was to the point and already having an interest just as a spectator of, of pro football in particular that I went ahead in, in 2003 uh, and I was looking, even though I was had a regular day job, I was looking for an entry point, not really with a specific idea of where necessarily it might lead me to in the future, but just as a nice little side hobby uh, is when I sought out uh, your old company, as you said, KFFL, and took an opportunity to uh, put together some articles that you were uh, at the time offering opportunities for volunteer writers. It was the summer of 03, so you were uh, revving up for football season, and I did a few fantasy profiles and interacted with you back then through email and so forth. And that was really my first exposure uh, as a writer in the industry. Well, I, I got to be honest, uh, I, and I don't say this to brag. I say it more as fact. We were probably one of the best companies for writers to get their start because we had actually creating, created a writer's training program. And our we were probably one of the few companies where the editors, you two would talk on how to improve your work or what didn't work or what. And that was something that my editors hated, but but I loved it because it made better writers. I mean, I remember, we all know who Stefania Bell is now, but she was ready right. to leave the industry and I convinced her to stay. I remember her first article was a nightmare because she's so intelligent. She, she writes like a college professor. Her first article, my editors, uh, we're like, William, can you understand this? And I'm like, look at these long medical terms. And I'm like, oh, God. And the reason they were showing me, because Stefania was special, meaning I knew she had a bright future because she was a woman. We're 98% men. She was extremely intelligent. She was an expert in her field. And I was like, you're going to make it. You know, you just need a place to get discovered. And that's what she was looking for. But they came to me because I had to, I had to, they felt I, ha I had to give them permission so they could go educate her on how to write in everyday terms. And lo and behold, she left us, went on the road to wire your, uh, a company used to write for, and then she went on the ESPN. So we're all very happy for her success. But for me, that's what I loved about the writer's program. It actually helped people learn how to write. Because you know how it is, Juan. Everybody wants to give their opinion, but not a lot of them want to actually research and get the, the statistical facts to back it up. Because I'll never trust anybody unless it's their opinion. Well, a quick question, though. When you started, it was all traditional. Now there's DFS, and you do a lot of DFS writing, too. What do you prefer and why? Right. I kind of have... Uh began so uh, getting back i guess to that hiatus so then uh after doing a few articles uh for kffl i basically stepped away from that just because of time constraints I had two small children at the time and so uh it wasn't actually until 2015 which by that point i know uh i believe kffl was no longer in existence and at right. that point um the company and the, that i had been working for my day job uh restructured it was a major restructuring going on there was going to be a reduction in, in my status uh, from full-time to part-time. So I started looking for supplemental, uh, actual supplemental paid work. And having been familiar at that point with Rotowire as a visitor to the site, I had noticed that they always had a little help wanted type of writers yeah. needed thing and went through that process and was fortunate enough to uh, be able to just kind of be pre-selected to do some uh, trial runs uh, and writing some different player notes and things like that. And everything, thankfully, blossomed from there. So at that point, DFS already having – I had started playing the year before, before getting – in 2014 in the very uh, you know early stages of DraftKings and FanDuel, got familiar with it enough and loved that whole idea and the concept and the possibility of winning money week to week 
So that was already that had already piqued my interest. So the opportunities as far as article opportunities uh, on Rotowire that initially came to me were really of the daily fantasy variety. So it kind of came together that way where I basically um, delved into doing it immediately because of necessity, because of what they were asking of me, because yeah. of the opportunities that were there. But I also enjoyed playing it uh, very much. I really, I, you can't help, but I guess once you played season long for a while and it's, and it's wonderful, it's great that draft night is great, but you, I think you can't help, but the uh, get that adrenaline going with DFS, the, the difference between the pace of season long and seeing the payoff for your efforts in season long, as opposed to in DFS, everybody can agree. I think, you know, is, is a big, very different, you know, and it's, it's a lot more of an accelerated curve. So it's that, kind of like yeah. draft day every day when you're playing DFS, right. you know, right. that intensity, the results right there. Whereas the traditional, it's a bit more of a grind. I'm a traditional guy. I'm not a gambler because I have an addictive personality. And if I gamble uh, and, and I don't believe these people who say they win over and over and over, I'm like, yeah, you may win here and there, but not over and over and over. Yeah. I mean, maybe there are, but you know, sport uh, gambling is built for people to lose at the end. You're going to lose uh, unless you're one of these experts or somebody with your knowledge or that, but even then it gets tough, but that's why I don't do DFS. I would just into, I'm more of the male bonding, the ego, the talking trash. And I'd love that with traditional because it is a slight form of gambling, more like that gentleman's bet with a pot at the end. But you don't care about the money as much as the trophy and the talk trash. That's true. So I kind of got disillusioned with it because as the internet grew, more and more people just wanted to draft via the internet. And I was one of these guys. I love everybody getting together on draft day, then cooking right. out, then talking trash. And that seems like a thing of the past compared to what it is today. Right. No, I, I know a lot of that has changed for a lot of uh, uh, home leagues, neighborhood leagues, that kind of thing. Although I guess uh, there is a lot of now, the high stake, the hybrid, I guess, being the high stakes right. season long is kind of a nice little middle ground between the two where you do still you're still waiting to, to see if your uh, efforts will pay off at the end of the season. But you've got a lot more riding than right. you would in, with your friends and family league. But in those cases, I know that they make a big deal about getting together in person, and and it, it's always that that's been an event in and of itself. So there's still some of that around, but uh, you're right. I mean, the convenience. I remember uh, really the one big season long league that I would still play in with with family and friends that we've been having uh, that going now for a couple decades wow. uh, has been switched to online for the last few years, just out of uh, convenience. Uh, everybody's yeah. life changing and everything else, even though everybody's here within the city of Miami and everything it's, it's kind of, that's just kind of how it, it went to like so many other things do with the convenience of online. It defaults to that. Right. So, I think, yeah. yeah. I think that's human nature convenience. And I think as we get older, we're going to look back at that convenience and regret it. Not having seen that friend or family member, it's right. nothing wrong or bad because it is human nature. I think, mean, I don't want to drive two and a half hours, man. I mean, I, I screw Jose, screw him. I don't want to see him. I'm going to draft online. <laughs> Who knows what the story, but it's all fun at the end of the day. Uh, so uh, what advice would you give up and coming writers in terms of, of how much of a grind it is, how much dedication? I mean, just it, your own words. What, what would you tell somebody who goes, you know, hey, Mr. Blanco, what can I do to be a better writer? <laughs> right. Well, it, it's interesting because I think it also has to do with what you're trying to achieve in terms of um, income within the industry. I guess you could say whether you're trying to do this while maybe holding down still a day job and you're trying to just do it 
more for the love uh, of the craft and wanting to share your knowledge and expertise with others and, and maybe carve out a nice side uh, type of income uh, doing this kind of work, uh, you're going to probably not, you're going to be maybe more selective about what you take on. It may not be as much of a grind. Or maybe you'll only specialize, let's say, in football. So it'll be a grind for those few months. But then the rest of the year, you're kind of more coasting uh, on the fantasy side and just enjoying it more as a spectator. It, it it changes when, well, it developed for me, not that it initially started out that way, but I ended up doing it that way where uh, initially I started trying to just supplement some income. And eventually, because luckily the opportunities did continue to come, it did turn into a situation where now I have to kind of almost catch myself or watch myself, luckily, mm -hmm. to not take on too much and, and not turn it into a, a grind of the type that becomes almost like you stop enjoying uh, it for as much as you did before type of thing. Right. So my advice would be, I guess, to really evaluate, first of all, um, what you're going to be doing it for, what your goals are financially to initially to start off with. And you'll be able, I think, from that to pace yourself appropriately, most likely. Uh, and the other thing I've always uh, tried to, I guess, impart, I've talked to, I've got a son now who's about to graduate uh, college who is going into sports media and he's not not so much the fantasy side, but more traditional sports right. writing is what he's interested in. But what I told him, it applies uh, it, there, too, is try not to say no to anything that's put right. in front of you. Uh, even if sometimes I told him, even if sometimes you got to fake it till you make it, you may not be quite sure exactly how you're going to write about what they're asking you about. Or you may not be as sharp on on the knowledge of that particular sport as you as an opportunity that might be presented to you. It involves you still go ahead, believe in yourself, bet on yourself a little bit responsibly. You don't want to take something on that you're not going to put a good work product out for. But I do think that you do have to kind of bet on yourself, believe in yourself that you'll be able to grind it out and do whatever work you need to get up to speed on something. And don't pass up opportunities because you never know where that could lead. And That's right. you're more versatile and more valuable to your employer if you keep saying yes as much as possible. So That's right. It's a plus with writing you have to consistently, I mean, it, I write so few and far between an article will take me two to three times as long just because, you know, I, I just, I'm rusty. So writing every day, every day, and yeah. you really don't want to turn that down. Oh, and for those who are wondering, my, my old company, KFFL, I sold it. And uh, we were the flagship of a startup. Uh, 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 that's when I left the company. Uh, uh, and then USA did away. USA had more page views to sell than they had actual buyers out there. And, and they had taken that they removed our subscription service, you know, and, and, and it was huge. And uh, uh, they made everything free. So once USA Today got it, they kept it free for a while, then just kind of used the redirect with that traffic to push the push uh, KFFL traffic into USA Today. I'm not bitter or anything, but I always tell people this. When you sell something, you got to be prepared to let go. That's why I'm not bitter. It's, you know, it's like when I saw it, I let it go because I knew that was a potential path. I mean, it, and it's happened on a different level with RotoWorld. Remember RotoWorld.com? Now it's NBC Sports Edge. Right. And, and so when you build something as an entrepreneur, then sell it, be prepared to let it go. And life will be much easier, much more fun, and you won't be bitter. You know? Okay. The, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I saw um, a podcast that you did at one point. I think it was on the Fantasy Legends series. 
and I heard your entire recounting of that story. I heard you tell a lot of good stories from the company's growth and everything and the company's history. And I really enjoyed that. So I'm familiar with a lot of what you're saying because I remember you expressing a lot of that same sentiment in that in that interview. Yeah, yeah, that, that was with Emil Kandik. And Emil right. Kandik is an old dinosaur, but he's a legend. And uh, yeah, the thing about life, which I'm sure you'll agree with at our age, when we look back at something, we always remember the great times. There were a lot of right. times too, but, you, but that's what sure. makes life so unique. You remember the best out of the worst situation. And I think that's what makes us better than animals. We're able to, to compartmentalize and keep moving forward. So let's get into some fantasy. Uh, I, I want to just sit there and talk some general uh, fantasy questions, and then we're going to dissect an actual expert's draft. But some some general fantasy questions. Let, let, let's get to uh, who do you see as some sleepers or, or undervalued players that you think people can hold off on and grab at a later round and maybe use those earlier rounds for uh, uh, other picks? Right, right. Well, there's there's a lot of interesting – one of the things I find interesting going into this season is we have some – uncertainty here with some big players some some guys too who have some some big names who have some contract situations that are really critical that are kind of just up in the air I'm referring mainly to Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson in right. the sense that we know these guys are going to get paid but they're they're getting antsy and so it'll be interesting to see what happens as far as whether either one or both are going to go into this season with their situations resolved long-term or not, because I think it's going to prey on their mind a bit. If things are still kind of pending. I mean, of course, I think they're going to be mo ultra motivated. I think either way, both of those guys uh, in particular this year, but then with Murray, for example, the other interesting part of the equation going into it, as far as, as we sit right now on July 20th talking is DeAndre Hopkins is still waiting to see if he could potentially get a little bit of time shaved off his suspension, but in reality, we know he's going to be missing some games to start the year. Deshaun Watson, of course, the biggest wild card situation going on right now is is him and his whole entire situation. So you've got some of these big names that people aren't sure quite what to do with and that their absences, for whatever long they are, are going to affect so many other people around them that we would be drafting and considering in fantasy. So Exactly. Yeah, exactly. those things all together make for a very interesting concoction of, of uncertainty going in. Uh, you know, and just looking through, I mean, and I, I'm trying to um, hone in here on what we would consider sleepers uh, off the top of my head, because there's been with so much offseason movement this year, too, of so many big names. That's another thing that I found really interesting about this offseason was uh, you've got a lot of proven guys, but you've got a lot of them in new situations all of a sudden. And we don't quite know exactly how they're going to fit yet. Uh, A.J. Brown uh, coming to mind. And, and of course, uh, Baker Mayfield now uh, in Carolina. He first has to win the job officially, according to what they're saying. So we have to see about that. But um, that's another uncertain, uh, another X factor, I think, too, uh, as it comes to our drafts. Um, as far as, uh, I guess, true sleepers, and I, I'm trying to give you some good some good names here that won't be just run-of-the-mill obvious uh, names. I think off the top of my head, at a, at a position that's not the most luxurious, but tight end, Albert O in Denver, I think. I, I really love the potential there, obviously, with the quarterback upgrade that he's got yeah. and Noah Fant being gone. Uh, that combination of the, those two things, I think, could really lead to some big, big uh, numbers for him. And uh, in I, I, it looks here like in Tampa Bay, you know, if we believe Gronk and we take him at his word, he's he's gone for good. He's not coming back. Uh, Kate, Kate Otten is a fourth-round rookie you know, that they, they've just selected. 
showed a, a lot of potential at Washington, but had an ankle injury that kind of cut his senior season short. But he's got they they like him and they plan you know with with Brady at the helm, obviously he can make uh, pretty much any player step up his game. So I'm looking at him as an in, depending on how fast he picks things up this summer because he hasn't really been able to participate in OTAs because of the injury. We're going to have to see how he does in training camp and preseason, but all he's got right now to beat out really is Cam Brate at tight end uh, for, for Tampa Bay. And given Brady's history of using tight ends and successfully using tight ends, that's going to be a really interesting situation there, I think, especially with Chris Godwin out for Tampa also the first few weeks probably. So is that the type of situation where you tell somebody, keep an eye on this kid in training camp, see how he develops and all that? Because I like to draft no earlier than two weeks. Or two. My best time to draft is one week, or, or is that Thursday, uh, where the Thursday night's already played that weekend. You know, it's just right. like that. So I always tell people, you got to follow some of these training camp battles. And it sounds like that's one of those battles to keep an eye on to get a good sleeper. Yeah, that, that's definitely, for him, that would be, I think, the real recipe to, to really figuring out if he's going to be worth your while is going to be watching that carefully and reading those reports coming out daily. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about the old days earlier and the old days of fantasy. The amount of information that we can get now from training camp drills and practices, it, you know, what we used to be able to get back then at end of the day summary, it's just night and day. And that's that comes in of great value with a rookie like this, where you really have no body of work to rely on uh, at the pro level with him and not even any offseason work yet. So he's like a total unknown until we see him on the field. But yeah, once, once you start getting those reports, if things are sounding good, looking good, he's got pass protection down correctly because that's very crucial when you're playing with Brady. It's not just going out and catching the ball. So if all of that is looking good, I really see him. I mean, not a flashy name. And like we said, not a flashy position when we're talking compared to the other skill positions, but that's a big one that I can think of offhand. A, a couple of others in just scanning some, some depth charts here is, First of all, Paris Campbell for the Colts, you know, he's a guy who's always been looked at as tremendous physical ability, but one of the most injury prone guys, you know, over the first three seasons of his career, forcing that that there has been you know, in quite a while, if he can finally stay healthy. And again, all the reports uh, about him so far this offseason have been have been wonderful. He's not got, has Matt Ryan at quarterback. So it's another guy who has an upgrade from last season or for the last few seasons at quarterback. So now we're going to see if he can stay healthy. And no more T.Y. Hilton there, it looks like. There won't, right. th that won't be happening. Uh, it looks like uh, no reunion doesn't seem to be in the works. So he's got the rookie Alec Pierce, Michael Pittman. Those are you know clearly the top two guys ahead of him. But as a third receiver, he might be facing a lot of real favorable matchups against inferior defensive backs, and he's got the speed to exploit them. Exactly. You know, a little yeah. tidbit for the people out there that I used to that, – that I still to this day, they don't talk about a lot – but the male human body stops growing towards the late 20s. So any of her from 27 to 30 is when you're finally seeing these men, they're filling out, you know, and I always tell people with yeah. these injury prone players, if they start to approach that age, that's, you know, I'm willing to take a gamble on them. Uh, but prior to that, I stay away from them. I've been burned a lot on a lot of my beliefs, but generally speaking, like injury prone, stay away. But look at that age to see, because if he's 31, 32, still injury prone, he's probably going to remain injury prone. But if he's 27, 28, his body's finally able to fill out and you may get that season. Uh, now, 
uh, uh, they, these two could go in any group under or overvalued. But do you even look at a Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo Mayfield on a new team, not even giving the number one slot yet? And then Garoppolo, who knows where, he at, where he's at? If somebody's drafting today, do you say, hey, late round flyer? Or is these the type of guys you would rather wait and see and say, hold on? Uh, I guess I would be more confident really at this moment as we speak in Mayfield only because like you said, there's a little more certainty to a situation, even though yes, technically uh, the company line is that he's going to have to win the job, but given that Sam Darnold is going to be his competition, I think he's going to prevail. And, and again, everybody's also saying uh, and probably true is that they didn't trade for him to have him, you know, fill okay. the number two role. And that's, you know, that, that probably wouldn't be the case. And I do think anyhow, under any circumstance, I think Mayfield, uh, what's been proven out over each, they, they both got, were drafted just two, three picks apart the first same year. What's been proven out over their respective careers so far is I think Mayfield is a little bit more effective overall, just has uh, just been a little bit more consistent. They both have had issues sometimes with turnovers, but Darnold far more. And Mayfield has just a more positive recent history than Darnold does. And I think that, with one of the guys, ironically, that may really, uh, speaking of sleepers, that may experience a little bit of a resurgence because of Mayfield is Robbie Anderson. And ironic in the sense that Darnold and him had actually played together before. And Anderson goes out and has his worst statistical year yet with Darnold as quarterback last season. So that that didn't that didn't seem to help at all to have that familiarity. Right. But Mayfield can throw the deep ball. And I think that that's going to be uh, a connection that's going to kind of blossom if they get a chance to work, if injuries don't get in the way. Um, I think that that's going to help. Also, I, I, the other thing that I, makes me pretty confident in Mayfield's uh, success is going to be Christian McCaffrey. If he is able to remain on the field, he is going to be such a weapon in so many ways for him, not only as a safety, you know, boost up his numbers by just dumping the ball off to him and letting him go. But just the fact of, of course, as we know, defense is having to respect uh, right. the, the uh, everything, uh, you know, basically on the offense as opposed to just focusing in on, on the passing game. And, and Mayfield's right. used to that. That's a crutch he's had before. So I was going to say with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, he's had that crutch before and it's helped him. You know, I agree 1,000%. I only have one caveat. The New York Jets are where quarterbacks go to die. And uh, and, and Do Sam Donald started that out well, then regressed. And my concern is without Christian McCaffrey, the Panthers pretty much have no offense, as we've seen. Uh, and, and, but I'm not blaming the players. I have questions on that coaching staff, that head coach. To me, that guy's on an extremely, extremely, extremely short leash, meaning if they get blown out two to three games, He's gone by game four. I view this season as a rebuild. I would even consider trading McCaffrey just because of uh, 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 his own injury history. And if that team can't win now, uh, uh, there's a great uh, uh, player to trade to get draft picks. Now, what I'm saying is not the norm. Anybody else can say, you don't trade McCaffrey or this or that or that. But I'm like, I just look at the results. With doesn't matter what quarterback they put there last year, Cam Newton, Donaldson, or whoever, that team just was not gelling. They did not function. And it really makes me wonder if a coach that young has lost the respect of his players. With the final caveat, I'll say this. My issue with college coaches is they build these, these records over five years of like, you know, 60 and three or 60 and eight. And yet, you know, 45 of the teams they played were scrubs, you know, so they That's come in and the NFL's a different, different game. So I don't know what to expect out of there. So what I would tell people is you got to follow what, what Juan says, because whether it comes out true or not, 
that's kind of the only logical way to look at it right now. But that that whole team can go everywhere and anywhere within the first few weeks. And and I yeah. am curious to see that. You know? Yeah, two of the scenarios you, you've described, though, have actually, you know, been, I guess, not really inconceivable even before this, because I, I thought Rule was gone after last season. I was surprised when they announced that he was actually staying on. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, the early hook wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility at all. And as far as McCaffrey is concerned in the trading, I know that there has been rumors on and off about oh, that wow. now for a couple of years i know you know because of the possibility of getting a, a great return and just kind of um but again it's it, it, the he is an incredible centerpiece if he yes. can stay on the field and he will make everybody around them better he really truly does it's not just one of those uh uh things where uh, that label is attached to a player maybe with a, a little bit too much embellishment with mccaffrey's skill set it's so unique that i really think that the quarterback is definitely going to thrive and, and benefit. And so are all his fellow skill position players, just he's such a threat. So, right. yeah, yeah. You know, my final comment on uh, Darnold is I really feel for him because uh, one of the things I was blessed with was I had a reporter in every locker room. I went to all the events. So I was like a regular reporter. We did both fantasy and NFL. And I got to talk to players firsthand. I got to talk to agents firsthand. And uh, the only type of person I never actually spoke to was an actual owner. Everybody else in that world uh, I got to know and talk to. And it seems to be a consensus. A young QB is going to die if he goes on a team without an offensive line because they get happy feet. They no longer, they're looking over their shoulder. It just, it's, it's like, uh, I always forget if it's Derek, no, it's David Carr. And to me, I look at David Carr as a poster right. child. And I don't know, and maybe you can offer some insight uh, or maybe not, I don't know, but I just wonder is Sam Darnold going down that path by being on those, those those teams that I thought were atrocious? I'm not defending his play as much as the bad situation he got, he went to, you know, what, what do you think? Right, right. No, that's definitely, we've, I think it's always been common knowledge that the, the psychology of playing quarterback is like one of the most complex of any position in any sport. It's kind of like, you know, the pitcher, the guy with the, with the spotlight on him all the time. And there's no question that Darnold, I'm sure has been mentally, a little bit broken by past experiences um, at the same time. And again, this maybe all feeds one into the other is there are times then when quarterbacks like that get into better situations, but the, uh, the past experience doesn't let them enjoy that or let them fully realize that they no longer have somebody uh, chasing them down almost every play. And they, uh, they get, uh, what do they say? They see uh, ghost pass rushers yeah. almost like, they, they feel pressure when there isn't any sometimes and they, and then they, it still leads to the same type of mistakes they were making when they were kind of under siege all the time. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're broken. They're broken. You know, they yeah. just can't recover. Uh, so right. before we move on to actual specific questions, uh, one more question on who are a few players you see overvalued? And let me explain something to the audience. When I say overvalued or bus, I'm, to me, if a player has been drafted in, in, in say, the fourth round, and then you're in a draft and he falls around six, to me, that's a sleeper. You got to grab it, you know, or he'd he become undervalued. So I don't necessarily look at it as where in the draft, but where do you see maybe some players that are overvalued in general or, or players in your heart? You're like, you got to stay away from that guy. Right. Well, a name that comes to mind, and this this may end up uh, just with the caveat, I'll say that this could end up being proven completely wrong by the end of the season because of the high-end offense that he plays on. But we've, we've seen how much hype uh, Gabriel Davis from the Bills has received right. because 
you know, if you if you break out the way he did in a nationally televised postseason game, that's going to be inevitable. And the physical skills, it's not that he didn't have a lot of, I think, good press before. I think a lot of people were waiting for him to emerge because they, it was one of these guys that they felt this guy is going to eventually blossom into something special. Uh, and now he's he gets into a situation where Emmanuel Sanders is gone. There's no other buffer between him and and Diggs, and, and so it's going to be he's got the number one, he's got the number two uh, role. He's going to be facing starting corners of you know a good hey, percentage exactly. of the time, and that's when it gets interesting to see the route running and all of that. Is it going to stay uh, as precise, or is it going to be as effective? Is he going to get as much separation playing against probably a better quality of player? Uh, the reason why I would say maybe like he'll fit into some kind of uh, category that we could call overhyped or uh, potentially overvalued is that people are probably jumping on him maybe a bit early uh, or what could prove to be a bit early based on that, based on that, because there's a lot of buzz around the industry. And one of the things that uh, going back again to our little comparison about the old days and today is in the old days, since we didn't have, even though we did have the internet, let's say even back in the early 2000s, we didn't have the social media component. Right. A buzz about a, per a player didn't spread as fast and groupthink wasn't, I think, as much of a problem. You would read the magazines, you would get a feel from what the professionals were saying. But nowadays you can get on social media and everybody, regardless of qualifications or their knowledge, is just spouting their opinion. And sometimes it's just it's just an opinion and that's all it is. It, it may not uh, it may sway you. Because you hear so many people talking about it. It's just human nature. You can't. Uh, you think you're going to miss out on something if, if you don't take this player, for example. And you might jump on him too early as a result. Oh, exactly. And, yeah, I, I agree. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry's an analyst now without having done the research. And, and God bless them. You know, that this is their era. The technology's there and all that's there. But it was right. much harder in our day. I remember discovering these little tricks, tools, or this data. Like, I remember the first time I discovered Barry Sanders sucks against Green Bay. He averaged like less than five. Uh, he, he was like in negative yards during the winter months when it snowed. So when I told him, yeah, don't play Barry Sanders, he looked at me uh, like I was the biggest idiot. And I think he had like 30. He did what I thought he would. But still. There's that rule, you don't bet your studs. But learning those little tricks, well, not tricks, but learning those, discovering those nuggets of gold is always fun, even today. All righty, let's go into uh, the quarterback position. Generally speaking, in a draft, or not in a draft, in 2022, should somebody drafting uh, this month, should they wait on the QB position, or or should they try to lock in one of the top, top starters? Well, I really think it comes out to format, you know, and scoring. And, and that's one of the things that maybe uh, I, I see, you know, we see rankings uh, of all kinds out there all the time and everything. But I think it's it's such an elementary thing to to think about that it might almost seem like it's not worth mentioning. But I always think it's worth just reminding folks, always check your league scoring settings, because that's going to make that's going to really guide you one way or the other, uh, or it should in, in a lot of your decisions. And especially when it comes, like you're saying, to prioritizing position. So I would say, I mean, with a, a quarterback position, I've always, the, the league that I've played in the most consistently over the years, we've actually uh, have bonuses for 300 yard passing games and a point per completion. So a quarter and six points per touchdown, not four. <laughs> so it's not, it, uh, yeah, we get some, uh, the, the scoring is, is something that, you know, we kind of embrace there. So it's, it's uh, and receiving, you know, receivers also full point per reception, everything. But 
quarterbacks take on more value in a scenario like that, for example, where you'll see typically it's not your traditional, oh, focus on the on the running backs first and you can leave quarterback to fourth or fifth round. It, it doesn't work that way because you'll end up with with just kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel if you wait too late in a scoring system like that. So it, it would mean uh, really being intimately familiar with what's going to really uh, drive the, the motor in your league and your in, in the scoring as far as scoring is concerned. Well, let's and, say, and let's say this, Juan. Juan, let's say this. Let's say it's four points yeah. uh, for a touchdown, uh, one yeah. point for every 20 yards. That tends to be traditional because I'm with you. My first league, my first two or three leagues were what you just described and quarterbacks first two rounds. That's all you saw pretty much going. But that right. tends to be the more extreme. Most leagues are four, sure. four points, uh, uh, one point for 10 yards or one point for 20 yards. In a league like that, what would you recommend? Right. I think in that league, I mean, from what my experience has been in those types of leagues and also seeing in general what you've seen some draft results out there when people publish them, I think a good solid, let's say, uh, for the very elite superstar guys that you that can run the ball, that can give you significant yeah. rushing contributions as well, so that you're kind of drafting yourself, not just a quarterback, but uh, you're, you're a more complete player than that. I mean, then you can even, you know, make justifications for second round, you know, late second round, early third round for some of these elite guys. Um, uh, I'm talking about, of course, like the Lamar Jackson being right. a, a prime example, Murray, uh, Mahomes to to that extent as well. I would say, you know, in those cases, it's it's um, there's there are exceptions to the rule, I think. Yeah, uh, because other than that, you, you can see guys, maybe Josh Allen as well. You can see other guys uh, that you could conceivably see oh they're going to fall to the fourth or the fifth right. even though they're great rock solid pass you know pass throwers but they may not be able to give you much more than just whatever their passing stats are in a week to week exactly so, so yeah. what about deshaun johnson uh deshaun johnson deshaun watson now he falls right. into the he can rush and he can throw i like yes. the talent a lot but that's how we've kind of seen except for glimpses here or there do you take a risk on him not knowing what his, I mean, this time next week, we should probably know, but right now we right. don't. So what would you tell people? Yeah, that that's the, the million-dollar question of this summer. And I feel like there's there's no question a suspension is coming of some sort from every all the rumblings we read. So he is definitely one that even in, let's say, even in a quarterback, uh, you know, centered type of scoring system, I would really – uh, mind my my the round and really be careful, be picky about that round in which I took him in. Uh, it, it could be easily, you know, toward the lower, you know, third of the draft, and I, I would be willing to wait on that. And if he wasn't there, you know, that's that's okay because right. I do think there's enough risk involved. And, and of course, we're all focused on this potential suspension without even, of course, mentioning the the one year off of not playing, which that's is right. another thing, which is is going to i mean he has had a chance to work through otas and offseason so we're, we're presuming he's knocked off the rust i believe last year too if i remember correctly he was going in to the texas facility every week he was just a game day inactive but he was doing some throwing and doing some stuff so it's not exactly like an injured player that really had to sit around uh, all year but uh we still you know no live hits for for you know almost okay. 24 months it's gonna be or you know not 18 months even if he were to start the season which we don't really think he will and then a new team on top of everything else, a new offensive system. Uh, there's just so many things stacked against him there that I really see him as, uh, unfortunately, a little bit of a draft pariah, if that's the right word, to kind of push him toward the back end of it. And if he's still there at a certain point, sure, you know, right. maybe so. 
at, at a certain yeah. point, every player has value is what I tell people. And uh, you, you're absolutely correct. My issue with Deshaun Watson that I counter to people is everything you've just said. And not only that, if somebody tried to tell me, well, he's taking the Houston Texans to the playoffs in the one year he was there. I go, so did Brian Hoyer. So did uh, another quarterback. I can't even remember the name. Hoyer, you know, it's, a, it's like Bill O'Brien was a terrible general manager, but he was a pretty solid, outstanding head coach with the tools he had. So I'm on the boat. I see the talent. I get it. But he he's, hasn't really produced it on the field consistently yet. Even though I believe he can, I kind of stay away from him. But like you said, if he's in that bottom third and still there, I'll take I'll take a shot at him and stash him. I mean, what can you do? But oh, real, yeah. real another thing I would add about that too is that I actually don't think he's got that deep of a receiving core to begin with. So let's say even if he was able to get in there um, and play even a, a good half a season or ten games or something, I don't think that his receiving core could survive a lot of injuries before things would start to get really ragged. And, and and he's going to be playing for a head coach that loves to run the ball right. that has uh, you know been top five in, in rush play percentage, I think, the last two or three seasons. So uh, that's another factor, too, that uh, how much does, does Nick Chubb and Kareem Hump take away in opportunities from him? It may not be this freewheeling thing that maybe I think people think a freewheeling passing game. I, I don't see it there. And uh, we'll, I know we'll talk uh, probably about Amari Cooper and everything in, uh, coming up, but uh, he's great. Uh, whether he's a true number one, uh, it maybe is even debatable. And then behind him, I, I see some concerns. If, if there's an injury or two, things could get really, really ugly. Right. And, and, and well, speaking of Mari Cooper, he's actually a great example of what we talked offline when we were saying that, uh, you know, sports or anything in life, uh, superficially, you can throw out your comment, you can say this, and it's true technically, but when you start to dig a little deeper, you discover uh, other potential issues. And that's where Amari Cooper falls in. His first two years were outstanding, but he's kind of been going on a downhill uh, trajectory ever since to the point that people wonder, well, you're not technically a bust, but you're not worth the high pick you were taking at coming out of Alabama. And I, the reason I'm saying that is it's not like Deshaun Watson has a, has uh, Tyreek Hill to throw to, meaning somebody who gives it 150% on every play. There have been questions right. about his desire, about how good he is, about those diminishing skills at such a young age. And now you're telling us that they lack depth. I'm saying, to me, that just tells me stay away from Deshaun Watson. But let's focus on Cooper. Where would you see Cooper as a fantasy receiver, as a number two, number three? What are you thinking here? Right. Uh, I mean, I think he's a fine, let's say uh, a fine number two uh, on your roster if if you need to, if, if it comes to it. Um, and of course, if if you happen, if the draft just falls a certain way for you and you're kind of desperate and he's like the best name available and you still haven't even picked the, uh, anybody at that position, he, he's going to be fine. And I think it, here's the I, strange thing about it is. I think whether it's Watson or Brissett playing with him, I don't know that the results are going to be that drastically different for him in the sense that um, Cooper's yards per target the last few years, I was kind of taking a look at that and glancing at it now. I mean, it's it, under nine yards per target the last few years. He's become more of a short area guy. Right. That's not right. a problem for Brissett. That's Brissett's favorite preferred style of play. Okay. So, so you're giving props to Brissett, not knocking and, Cooper down. <laughs> yeah. Not, it's kind of a combination of both things. I don't know if, if that was out of design. I know that, of course, two years ago in Dallas, I mean, Cooper had to play with a revolving door quarterbacks because of Prescott's injury. But last year with Prescott back, uh, Prescott healthy, it's 8.3 yards per target 
which is one of the lowest uh, figures of his career. So is it going to be a trend? Is, is, it, is this a trend? He's actually been in the single digits in yards per target like every year except for 2019. Mm-hmm. So if, if we're looking at him as more not, not such a, a big downfield threat, um, if Brissett's in there, he actually, who knows, he may actually see more work because of Brissett's uh, penchant for kind of keeping things safe, keeping things close to the, in the short and middle passing windows. That's where most of his throws go. They may actually have pretty good chemistry when it comes to that. He may just feed him on on volume alone. He may get you, especially in a full PPR league, he may get you a lot of production. And with Watson, who knows? Watson may get more creative. Watson would move around more, maybe take more risks. Uh, and and maybe uh, focus more on Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, who's a speedier downfield guy at this point. So it, it's an angle to kind of think about. Uh, no, you're, you're absolutely yeah. right. It's funny because, again, early in the show and when we talked about camera, our site's built around politics and sports, and especially identity politics, me being a Latino. And uh, we, we talked about Brissett, and we talked about the stereotyping of America because as we talked to people in fantasy and we brought up Brissett, they all assumed because he was black, oh, he's going to run with the ball. And I'm like, y'all have never watched Jacoby Brissett play. He's a pocket quarterback. And we were just laughing about it. Uh, and when you brought it up, it reminded me of that. But I guess the point I want to make is I agree with you because where, as you said, Watson will be creative. Uh, you can also translate that as Watson's going to take the ball and run, whereas yeah. Brissett's more apt to hang in the pocket a couple of seconds longer to get to the open receiver now most people will assume rightfully that guy will probably probably or could be the tight end. But Amari Cooper is, despite what we've said about it, he still is a quality player. He may get a few extra passes uh, uh, because Brissett stays in the pocket. Uh, and yeah, and he looks, I think he tends to look for the, he, he kind of uh, develops a safety valve and he likes to stick with it. I think, uh, you know, for, for the most part. And I, I, uh, Honestly, as far as a quarterback, I would trust, I think, Cooper, who is a great route runner, who does have solid hands. I would trust him more, for example, than David Njoku, who's been, uh, as you were saying, the tight end. But he's been more like touch and go throughout his career. He disappears for weeks on end sometimes uh, from the from the stat sheet. And he just has not the same level of consistency. I mean, Cooper may not have always lived up to that, like you said, that high draft billing. But the guy has produced. The guy does catch the ball well. And he can he can handle volume. He can handle a lot of work. So again, that, that there's a there's a maybe a, an, an argument to be made that they're going to you know try to just go the safe route. Obviously, if if they're forced to go with Brissett in the passing game, and this uh, you know at all other times, basically ride Chubb and Kareem Hunt as much as possible. Right, right. And for the audience out there, it's an older article I wrote maybe a few months ago, but I break down Cooper's whole career in terms of where he's going. So if you're looking for a little bit of information on that, uh, I do document a lot of things uh, that Juan said here. Uh, We're going to skip a couple questions. I want to get the draft, but I still want to know the running backs is the RB is, is running back still the position you target round one, round two, unless all the studs are gone. Is that still the rule in fantasy? Right. In the type of standard scoring that we were talking about, I think I think it would be. I mean, I think it's still, you know, one of the smarter uh, ways to approach it. Like you said, with with, you know, potential exceptions here and there, because we have seen I, I think one of the things maybe we have to adjust in our thinking over the years is we've seen some incredible numbers from receivers that we didn't use to see before. Right. I mean. There's been, remember, I remember, uh, I'm sure you do too, we, uh, we're old enough to remember when like Herman Moore, uh, you know, breaking the 100 catch barrier 
uh, was like a major story. And, and it's become a uh, kind of, you know, passe almost now. Like you see these guys putting up some incredible numbers. And so the Justin Jeffersons of the world and so forth, that uh, they're, they're almost, uh, you'd have to look at it side by side, I guess, for fantasy points per year comparing to some of the top running backs. But these guys are producing like just as much. I mean, they're, they've got their, their receptions. Uh, if you're on point per reception, you know, they become extremely valuable. Yeah. Uh, they're getting into the end zone double digit times a year too, just like running backs, top running backs right. are. So right. there is uh there's a case to be made, but yeah, to, to answer your question, I mean, I think so. And I think while we had a few years there where the stud running back or the big workhorse guy was kind of, uh, I think it looked like going by the wayside a bit. Yeah. You know, with Derek Henry. Yeah, with, with Derrick Henry and with some of the these others, uh, we know they can't keep that up for too many years before they start to break down. But while they're in their prime, while there's still not a sign of any kind of breakdown, uh, a lot of these guys are are kind of reliable week to week in the workload they're going to get. And so that makes them very valuable uh, in drafts. Correct. Yeah. In fact, we used to call them the cowbell. And when I yeah. first started playing, and you did too in the 90s there, that lasted until about towards the end of 2008, 9, 10. I mean, I remember, but that's when you started seeing injuries taking their toes for a lot of them. But then that's when you started to see teams mixing it up with a 1A, 1B, or 1 and 2, or, or getting that third down running back in there more often than not. It's just one of those tough positions where where in fan, the fantasy sports world, if you get a cowbell, he's, he, he's in one of the top three picks period uh, uh but because of the dearth of injuries the running back position will always be one of the shallowest in the draft now let's talk about a position real quick before we get into the actual draft we're going to analyze uh tight ends i've been reading oh be, real quick uh, uh what you said about wide receivers when i started playing when we started playing i had a rule I never drafted a rookie. They had to learn the system. They were behind starters. But that's kind of changed over the last seven to ten years because of the pro-style offenses. And I think uh, uh, the rule changes, benefiting the offense, I think that's what's created this wide receiver explosion. And yeah. in, in their defense, these people make ungodly money. But it's good to see the wide receivers earning their due, you know, after many decades. And, and I hope the running backs get to do that as well. Uh, but we all know quarterback is a marketable position. You know, it's a, a, a position everybody wants, the, the, the player everybody wants to be growing up. So we get it. So let's go to the tight ends. That used to be a very shallow position. You'd have two to three, and then then the rest were blocking tight ends. You know, where do you uh, – is a tight end position one you can play weekly matchups because of the depth, or do you still grab one of the top four to five players? I guess how has that position changed, and what do you think of it this year? Right, right. Well, so going back, it's, a, it's similar in certain ways to what we've seen with the evolution fantasy-wise of the receiver position in the sense that – some of the guys we have, at least in this current generation of tight ends, are, are producing numbers that are rivaling that of receivers or exceeding them. Uh, and so we used to have, like, we're going to go even further back when, you know, Kellen Winslow was just destroyed, the junior, uh, senior, <laughs> junior. Uh, when when uh, when senior was, uh, you know, just tearing it up with Dan Fouts and the Chargers in the 80s, I mean, he was seen as some kind of otherworldly player that was kind of a, a total, I guess, what they call now unicorn at his position. I mean, he was just the athleticism he was displaying wasn't common. You really didn't have too many other guys like him at the time going back to that era. And right. then we we've had now, you know, going to the present day, when you look at guys, uh, Kelsey obviously is going to be the first name that comes to mind. Uh, just between the system that he plays and the quarterback he plays with, 
and the, his own physical ability and just his ability to produce numbers that are just out of this world, he becomes a guy that I consider him, uh, you know, very high. Like he's not just uh, if I can get him, I can prioritize him uh, or pretty early in a draft, maybe over even a, a, a comparable receiver uh, potentially, right. especially this coming year with, you know, which is going to be one of the interesting th- things to see is the Kansas city passing game. How, how will it uh, handle the, uh, the departure of Hill? But we do know though, that one of the things we could almost, you know, bet our lives on is Kelsey is going to probably see even more work than usual. Right. And right. Mahomes, I'm sure will just be leaning into him so much, especially because, the two the two guys that are going to try to together uh, approximate Hill and his production are I mean you know Valdez Scantling and Smith Schuster is who we're talking about here are two guys who have undeniably have talent have physical skill consistency has been an issue Smith Schuster looked like he was on his way after his rookie year his first couple of years to being an incredible receiver and just the last he's been an enigma the last couple yeah. of years between injuries and performance so. Those two guys, I don't know how much Mahomes is going to get out of them. So Kelsey, I'm sure we'll be we'll be seeing plenty of work. Uh, Kittle, you know, obviously another guy who is just incredibly gifted athletically and can get down the field, and is a great blocker. So he's a, he's a very unique combination as well. Yeah, uh, his so, problem though is that rookie. Uh, well, not rookie, but second year uh, QB. We don't know what we're going to get out of him. Right, yeah. right, yeah. He's got right. He's got the the big questions uh, in that regard. Everybody else, I mean, I do see where, uh, you know, you could play the matches. There's some exceptions. I mean, you can make a case for Zach Ertz, another guy, uh, kind of like a a uh, Kelsey light that will have a big receiver missing uh, from uh, his team for the first few weeks of the season in Hopkins. So we expect Ertz to probably be a, a favorite target of, of uh, Kyler Murray early on. Right, so I think right. he's, a, he's another one that, you know, you can make a case. He's a guy who's proven to be consistent. There's, right. Yeah, everywhere else, there's not too many names that just jump out and you say, I got to have this guy. That's what I think, at least the way I see it. Yeah. I always tell people when they yeah. came to the tight end position, figure out the rounds you want that top tier, but have a backup plan with second tiers that are acceptable because those are the type of players you never know where they go. Somebody gets antsy, takes them too early. Uh, uh, but in the best world, they kind of fall to you where you where you kind of want them. But with the way that position has changed with the Kelseys of the world, I think uh, uh, there's no way they're going to slide down an extra round. And if you really want them, you may have to go up an extra round. I always tell people, if you get a little unsure, it's okay to draft them one round too early. But don't be drafting right. them three or four or five rounds too early because all you're doing is destroying the rest of your depth. All right. Juan, let's get to uh, the champion of champions drafts. Juan and I are going to analyze the, uh, I apologize, Juan is going to analyze the Champions League Fantasy Sports uh, and Gaming Association's Expert League draft. So my understanding is this league, they are all past champions. And when I saw this, I didn't think of it. uh, uh, It was a different draft we were going to talk about, but it was much earlier. This was more recent, but the same same setup. I was the winner of the very first experts league the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association had. But back then it was called the Fantasy uh, Trade Association, Fantasy Sports Trade Association, the FSTA. And here's the kicker, Juan. The commissioner did not have any tiebreakers set up. So at the championship round, Brandon Fuston, who was with ESPN at a the time, then went to Yahoo for many, many years and is now at the Athletic. You know, he's a legend in our industry. You know, he and right. I finished tied. No wow. tiebreaker. 
they determined the champion by flipping the coin. Coin flip. Wow. How about that? Oh, no, no. I was happy because I won. Had I lost, I'd still be bitter today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that would have been wow, that would be one to stick in your craw. That's definitely uh, no doubt about it. Especially with a big a big name draft, you know, among your peers, you know, in the industry. It's it's oh, it's yeah. something where yeah, you you don't want to lose on a technicality. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I help kind of push that in that direction from this perspective. I talked to uh, John Hansen and a couple others just on different topics, and this came up. I took every expert league seriously. Most people would, in, in, early in the day, would, they would draft in an expert league and never pay attention. They didn't care how they did. They just weren't passionate with the job. I was smart. I drafted in those expert leagues, and I won a lot of them. I mean, within three right. to four years, I had like over 20 expert leagues. Because I took them seriously, because I'm a marketer. And I'm like, well, who do you want to buy your content from? Joe Schmuckatelli yeah. who can't win anything or me who wins all the time, you know? Right, and right. So, yeah. so, and I remember a couple of people telling me, man, you, you forced me to go actually study and research my damn expert league, you know, because, because they saw how I was using it in marketing. And now it's right. about all this. It's just a lot of fun, a lot of good memories. So let's take round one. Uh, for the audience, we are going to put the, the this image up so you'll be able to see it. But for, uh, uh, but for those who don't have that option, uh, let me just uh, name off who was taken. Round one, Jonathan, uh, pick one, round one. It's all round one. Jonathan Taylor, Najee Harris, Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler at number four, uh, Dalvin Cook, Derek Henry, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase. Look at those receivers. Joe Mixon, DeAndre Swift, Javante Williams, Stefan Diggs, and Travis Kelsey to round out round one. Out of that round, anything sticks out of you, uh, uh, sticks out towards you in terms of like maybe too early, perfect, or did that round go as you thought it would? No, there there are a couple things actually uh, interesting here. Um, and again, everything we say, even even when we're going to be talking, I think about uh, maybe too early or overvalue those kinds of things that technically have a negative connotation. I am basically, you know, only giving my opinion, but just going to try to back that up with good reasons as to why my first thing that I have an issue is just Najee at number two. And I love the player. And I, and I, I think his physical skills are incredible. Uh, you probably can guess that what I'm going to say is I'm a worried about the scenario that he's in and right. the work is, it should be there, even though there has been talk this off season that he's going to have his volume. They're going to be careful with his volume. They don't want to, um, I believe they, they made a comparison to Le'Veon Bell early in his career, like overusing him uh, too early on in his career and having then problems pop up later. So they're going to, they're still going to give him sure a healthy workload. The problem is going to be that workload's coming behind an offensive line that last year just struggled to do anything right. for him. And I, I felt for him watching uh, watching a lot of those games because the kid definitely runs hard, great receiver. So he's got that dual threat thing going. And so the production, maybe through sheer volume, uh, as we were kind of talking about with Cooper, could get there uh, in a lot of weeks. But he, he had just the efficiency is I have a hard time seeing how it's going to improve much. Uh, the offensive line should be a little bit more cohesive in Pittsburgh this year uh, after, you know, playing a second year, mostly uh, the same guys together. But they, you know, now you've got a situation where a quarterback, you, you can argue that Big Ben wasn't such a big threat to defenses already, you know, the last couple of years. But regardless, I think he garnered a little more respect from defensive coordinators yeah. than, than Mitch Trubisky might or or uh, the rookie, you know, Pickett's going to. So it's going to be, uh, I think, a little bit of a situation, again, where Harris is going to be running into a lot of eight-man fronts. 
there, there's going to be, a, 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 I think, an uphill battle for him every week. So to take him second overall is my point. Is is right. just I think a little bit much. Um, and right. that's not even mentioning that you know Deontay Johnson apparently is unhappy with his contract. Hopefully, you know, if there's no holdout of any kind, or then, <laughs> then the offense would really be yeah. Uh, really so so yeah. it sounds like you're saying based on going second or raw, that, that that that's what you're saying is probably. Yeah. I don't want to say I don't want to demean any of these owners, but we're gonna call it like we see it. What I'm hearing you say is that's the worst pick of round one. That yeah, and that's the uh the most trigger happy pick of round one, I would say. It's just a little too easy. One is being polite. That's the truth. <laughs> just a little too quick on that in the sense that I, I have a feeling, and of course this is just hindsight. Would he have been available later uh, down the line, even later in the, you know, into the second round? Uh, maybe, uh, possibly. I mean, seeing how much, how many receivers were taken later in this round kind of gives you reason to think maybe so. I don't know if anybody else would have valued Harris uh, up, you know, that highly. Oh, so, so um, you're thinking he could have gone different here. And uh, uh, well, he was on the back end of the second round. Harris probably would not have lasted yeah, all the way to the that's back. That's true. End. Right. So he may have. Yeah, yeah. Factor that in. That's true. Okay. Out of the running but, backs there, before we go into the other rounds, out yeah. of the running backs there, who would you have taken or any player in that first round? Who would you have taken uh, ahead of Harris? I guess what I'm asking is, where do you think Harris should have fallen in that first round, or should he have gone in the first round? Yeah, if he was going to go, I think there's a case to be made he could fall in the first, go in the first round. But um, I would have taken him. Um, I would say more toward the back of the round. I would have taken guys like uh, definitely would have taken Derrick Henry. I think ahead of him and and Cook and. Yeah. Uh, Eckler is another one that I'm not so enamored with uh, completely that highly only because, again, this is a guy who finally crossed the 200 carry mark last year for the first time. Uh, this is this is not a proven workhorse back. He's still looking for uh, his first thousand yard rushing season, uh, I believe, as in his career. So he's th this is a guy who's got plenty of hype and plenty of talk around him and a great receiver out of the backfield. But again, we haven't seen him. Uh, go and really be given the workload that maybe you would expect. A lot of touches, but not the workload no, I, on the ground that you'd expect. I agree. I think yeah. he's going to make it up in his receiving because uh, yeah. you get points. Uh, it's one point for every reception. Reception, and, yeah. And I think that's kind of what jacks him up, and that's what the, the – uh, That's what the expectation is yeah, for that yeah. high of a pick, yeah. But, but I, I mean, you, but, if, yeah. if he's not a proven – I mean, he's not a successful 100% back. His skill comes in with being the the, the all-around back, the, the back you can put in there in any situation, but he's not a workhorse. You're not going to be able to put him in there uh, first, second, and third downs because his body will wear out. So so I think the Chargers, he's still a Chargers. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, 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 Chargers. A, to, yeah. To his credit, I mean, even, uh, you know, he wasn't just a byproduct, you know, early in his career, people may have thought, well, he's just a byproduct of, of coming in and, and complimenting Melvin Gordon after Gordon's work with his hard bruising style has worn defenses down. He's, he's such a change of pace that defenses don't know how to handle him. He, he, to his credit, he hasn't lost that much efficiency um, well, coming in as a primary guy, but he's still not getting a workload that's that different from when he was kind of backing up Gordon. 
I think Herbert helps up his value. I'm not I'm not defending him. I'm trying to find the logic and the decision. I think right. looking at Herbert really upping his value up. But here's a blast from the past. What I'm hearing you say is, is uh, I mean, what I was reminded when you were talking about that is Natron Means and Ronnie Harmon or Miriam Butts and Ronnie Harmon. Those two sure. Chargers. It's, it's, uh, it just reminded me of that. Or All Michael right. uh, Michael Turner. Uh, yeah. You know, another another guy. Um, uh, Jesse Chapman, if we really want to go further oh. back. <laughs> but, uh, you know, who, but these guys who have these moments, uh, you know, coming in and just kind of uh, fresh legs kind of outpacing the defense where they, they, they don't know what hit them when exactly. they become full, uh, you know, they get bigger workloads. They don't handle it as well. Eckler doesn't quite fit into any of those categories per se, because he did, like I said, he did log over 200 carries last year, but I don't know if that's probably where they're most comfortable keeping him and not really going much more than that. So, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's look yeah. at rounds two and three. This is going to get old, but I'm going to do it once more here for the audience. I'll read off who was taken round two, pick one, uh, 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 Mark Andrews. Cam Akers, Tyreek Hill, A.J. Brown, Alvin Kamara, Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott, Debo Samuel, Saquon Barkley, Aaron Jones, Mike Evans, Nick Chubb, C.D. Lamb, Devontae Adams, Leonard Fournette. Then we switched down a lot of names, people, I know. So make sure you check the image out. Uh, am I reading this right? Is it snaking or is it going to the beginning of each one? Right. The The way you're reading it is uh, you're going I, in I order it. on the page. But I'm not clear if, if it was a snake. I'm assuming it was a snaking draft. Uh, well, let's because, take, uh, well, let's take yeah. rounds two and three. And, and for the audience, yeah. the image will be up there. Uh, yeah. What stands out to you in looking at this? Uh, what trends are you starting to see happen in terms of teams and, and what you're thinking their strategy? But what's your general view after looking at rounds two and three and then looking at the overall aspect of rounds one through three? What do you see in the nucleus of teams? Right. Well, it, one of the guys when we were talking tight ends earlier that I that I failed to mention, of course, that's kind of in that that Kelsey Kittle category is Mark Andrews. And interesting that oh, yeah. I, we see him taken. Uh, well, if we're if we're reading this correctly, and again, that's what we the only thing we're unsure about is, uh, you know, him and Kelsey well, actually, being taken. Hold on, I'm sorry, we are. I did not say it out loud. It snakes back because it, it, it's got to go. Uh, 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 ESPN with the first pick, ESPN is not going to have the second pick, so that had to sure. be back in. So, so for the audience, it's going like this. Yeah, that way, that way, that way. So, so Mark Andrews was the back end of the second the, round of the second round. Yeah, which by the way, I think was a nice, you know, really great uh, grab right there at that at that uh, spot, you know, for him. Based especially with Marquise uh, Brown no longer in Baltimore, uh, unproven sort number one receiver and Rashad Bateman trying to to fill that spot for the first time. So Andrews very much like uh, like Mahomes will be leaning on Kelsey. Uh, Jackson will, I'm sure, be going to Andrews possibly even more than usual. So uh, right, right. It, the trends I'm seeing, though, you know, in the second round, we clearly see the receiver, you know, some receivers here starting to make their way in into the mix. Uh, you know, Devontae, uh, of course, the, one of the biggest uh, stories of the offseason and C.D. Lamb now with Cooper gone, uh, Mike Evans with Godwin not around. You see there's a, there's usually a little storyline attached to everybody. Uh, Debo Samuel, I mean, a fascinating story in the sense that he's one of these guys that's hungry for for a deal. He's seen every all these other receivers get big money this offseason. So he, the motivation level, it's an intangible, but it does it does come into play. There's no question about it in sports. So we that'll be it, interesting. Yeah. 
we call it playing yeah. for a contract. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's the greatest <laughs> intangible a player can have. Yeah, and we've seen it. We've seen it happen so many times in so many different sports where players are having some big, big years and contract years. Okay. Um, AJ Brown uh, saying, you know, AJ and, and Hill. I was just going to say, fascinating angles to the, uh, the in themselves, new scenarios and new quarterbacks. So, what about yeah. Saquon Barkley there? What uh, he yeah. went middle of the second round. Uh, yeah. What two injury riddle seasons, but he just looks so fantastic when healthy. Uh, what What do you think of him this year and in this draft? Too early, too high. I mean, too early or or, or a good pick there. Per- perhaps a tad a tad early, but I'm, I'm trying to evaluate, you know, everything in the grand scheme and seeing that, let's say we've got Taylor, Harris, McCaffrey, Eckler, Cook, uh, Henry, uh, Mixon, Swift, Williams, all of them off the board by that point, and Aaron, and Aaron Jones right before him, I guess. So uh, I can see where, you know, it gets to the point. It's all relative to positional need right. also. And, and at that point, you can say, hey, this guy's got we, there's no doubt about the ceiling the, that he's got uh, as a fantasy player, uh, even though he hasn't really been able to show it the last two or three years. But it's worth a roll of the dice based on the unique circumstances of the draft. Uh, the same team had picked Cooper Cup in the first round. So they, they went receiver. They went against the grain in the first round. So now now they're trying to get their hands on that running back position before before things get out of hand. And then they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. That's so what I, I was can, thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, there's a lot of hope. I mean, for Barkley this year, all the talk offseason has been his health is finally back to 100 percent. He feels explosive again. He's got Brian uh, Dable, I guess now is a head coach where there's a lot of hype around him based on what he was able to do in Buffalo. So that's going to be an interesting, you know, there's a lot of hope for the Giants offense, even with Daniel Jones still at the helm. But there's a lot there's a there's hope that there's going to be more ingenuity, more creativity in that offense and that that's going to help, you know, everybody. Right, right. You know, these youngsters with the supplements, the weightlifting, the low body fat. I remember talking to spec ops guys and and they're a different beast. Why? Because they're facing life and death when they go out on a mission. They're not playing for 60 minutes. And they would always tell me with training, you got to have some body fat. You know, it's like they're like what you see on TV is not the prototypical uh, spec ops guy. And and I really wonder if some of these injuries is, is they're just they're, they're like machines, but they don't realize body fat actually helps protect that machine. And when I look at Saquon Barkley, it looks like you're looking at a weightlifter. You know, this guy yeah. is like a physical spec. And I don't mind saying that because these kids work hard and they are as close to physical Greek God specimens as you will get. So, I mean, it's just my personal two cents on that, but, but yeah. I just really wonder, plus these guys are getting bigger, but what doesn't get bigger, their joints, their wrists, their knees, you know? So right. it's, it's a, I would love to see Saquon Barkley play injury free one year, just to see how good he could be. Cause he just looks phenomenal. All righty. Running through rounds four through six. I'm not going to repeat these, my friends, it'll take us too long and you won't remember, but for Mr. Juan Carlos Blanco, what do you see in rounds four to six? And at this point, can you give us uh, uh, an initial thought of what teams you're starting to like here? Sure. Well, in, in looking at uh, at rounds uh, four in particular, just starting there, um, Josh Allen, uh, which if I'm uh, yes, it, it would be toward the very end of the the penultimate pick of the four. Right. Uh, I love it. Love him there. Uh, I mean, I think that uh, he's again one of these. Uh, Basically, a Lamar, the Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes level. Obviously, as a passer, he's he's gotten there. As as a runner, we know what he can do. 
So I think that he just is a great weapon to have at quarterback. Uh, This is a team, you know, this is the Najee Harris team with the first pick, but he's got the running back position nailed down between Harris and Cam Akers. Yeah, you got Terry McLaurin in the third round. So now, you know, pairing up, uh, it's time to get a quarterback, I think, at that point. And that was a good, that was about as good as you're going to get. So that was was a great pick that stood out Um, in in looking uh, elsewhere in that round. You know, DK Metcalf, just a point on him is uh, this is a guy who's trapped in a bad situation. I think that we're going to see potentially traded at the deadline if they can't really work out something long term with him. So he could end up being in a much better spot for that the tail end of that fantasy season when the fantasy playoffs are coming and all the big clutch uh, parts of the season are coming. It may actually be a nice little gamble to pay off uh, in, in the fourth round there. Um, right. right. The, um, in, in going in fifth, Patrick Mahomes, you know, starting off the fifth round, you know, another great pick that I would be very comfortable with at that spot. Justin Herbert, two picks later, looks like a great pick. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, some risk, but we at least know it's not like a Watson situation. We're still up in the air. We kind of know at the most it's going to be right. six games um, with a speed guy next to him in, in Brown. Once Hopkins gets in there, if he stays healthy, I think that that's going to be a really good, uh, a good pairing uh, for, for Murray between the two. And with Murray playing for a contract, a long-term contract, I think it, the, the conditions are going to be right for him to, to kind of uh, thrive. There's, uh, you know, A.J. Green last year was often kind of a miscast number two. He did pretty yeah. decently, but uh, he's no longer the guy, you know, that we, we knew early in his career. But he actually did handle himself pretty well. But uh, as a number three where he is projected to be most of this year, I think that's what, that's a perfect spot for him. Brown is much more of a, of a guy to take pressure off well, Hopkins. I, I'm yeah. looking. where uh, What pick was uh, Green? Uh, I'm, <laughs> it's all a blur now. Uh, you mean uh, AJ Green in yeah. the um, in the draft in the real draft? Uh, you mean back? Oh, in, oh okay, in gotcha. You're just okay. No, no, I'm sorry. I, I missed. Oh, yeah. you, you're talking no, about I just meant, uh, Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, just just saying how you know having a a, a good solid number two in, in Brown. I mean, a real legitimate speed speed guy in Brown is going to really help. I think right. Uh, right. Hopkins right. out. Uh, so I, I all those picks there at the beginning of the fifth, I, I really liked and. Uh, as far as the the team, and just taking a glance here on what's really coming together nicely, I mean, I like the uh, the USA Today Sports, uh, you know, team picking in the third in the third slot. Steve Gardner, With McCaffrey, Tyreek. There's yeah, there, there's plenty. There's so much home, home run potential there in the first uh, four rounds, in particular with Herbert, Tyreek, and McCaffrey. That I, I that kind of uh, stands out to me. Um, and in, in taking a look here at some of the others, uh, just trying to, uh, to kind of quickly, uh, peruse them here. Um, let's see. Well, the, and Mike play, you know, VSPN coming out of the, in that first slot. I mean, with Taylor Andrews, Keenan Allen, Marquise and Patrick Mahomes, I mean, there's nothing to really argue with there. (laughs) I would, I would have to say. And so I really, I like the looks of that. Uh, Allen is just such a target monster and, and, and is so is so entrenched in that offense that barring right. injury right. he's almost locked into a certain and, and you know and, and the same you know Taylor Andrews Mahomes uh, it's it, a lot of security there Marquise Brown a little bit more of a wild card but I really like that team oh as yeah well. I actually view Mike Clay when I first met Mike Clay started following to me he he it's like here's the rest here's a fantasy sports field and then here's Mike Mike Clay and his knowledge so so that's not surprising uh, Colton and the Wolfman for those people who aren't out there those 
Mike Clay, somebody you want to follow. So is Colton and the Wolfman. I don't know what those two do, but they just win year after year after year. They're mostly they're bigger baseball uh, aficionados and they are football, but they win in football too. Uh, uh, and my old team is there, Corey Bonini and Ryan Bonini. One used to work mm-hmm. on with a partner. So it's kind of funny seeing all these names from the past because I don't draft anymore, but uh, uh, I used to represent. Uh, uh, and uh, I actually think I love the Allen and Mahomes and Herbert. I thought that out of those rounds, those were the, the most impactful because not only were they taken where they should, they fit nicely with the owners and what they wanted to take. All right, let's take a bigger chunk here. Let's look at round seven through 12. First of all, before you uh, dissect a few of the players here, uh, uh, because at this point, you're getting a combination of your starting. You still haven't filled out your starting team, but you're starting to gather your depth, the multiple receivers, multiple RBs. Uh, so what should an owner be thinking at at this point in their draft? Adding depth or still going for the home run for starters? What would Juan Carlos Blanco do? Right. Uh, at that point in the draft, I mean, depending on how your roster makeup is coming along, I mean, I'm still looking to steal some good, you know, starters with secure roles. Definitely, there should be certainly, you know, some out there at every position. So uh, that's what I would still be, definitely be focusing on. You know, that, that's when you start getting, I think, more into the uh, not so much sleeper category, but just guys that maybe haven't just had the same amount of hype as, uh, as others and that are still based on your own knowledge and observation are still very solid players. But even here, I mean, we've got some huge names, uh, if, for example, at the quarterback position being taken in round seven uh, that, I mean, are far from, you know, are far from uh, sleepers. And they are just it's just the way that this draft plays out again, like we were saying, running back receiver having more priority and quarterback falling back down in the, 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 the pecking order a bit. Uh, we're talking names like, you know, Joe Burrow, that, that quartet there in the seventh round of Prescott, Burrow, Stafford. And Lamar Jackson altogether is a perfect example of some huge names that, you know, uh, still well, on the real board. Real quick, Juan, the scoring system gives you rushing and receiving. One point every 10 yards, six points for every rushing TD. Right. Uh, now you do get the minus one for lost fumble, but that's beside the point. But my point being is, is I'm looking at Lamar Jackson. And at this point in time, I, I don't want to say the steal of the draft. But maybe there's your undervalued player. And I say yeah. undervalued because he's not a sleeper. But to me, based off the scoring system, based off the potential, he may be playing for a contract. Uh, yeah. To me, that that's arguably one of the best picks I, I've seen so far. Am I looking at this wrong or what do you think? Right. I, I agree with you uh, completely at that point in the draft. Like I, I mentioned, you know, with my, my primary season-long background in recent years being – valuing quarterbacks much higher than this that to me that really stands out so much to see him there because in my in my draft he'd be gone you know in, in the first two rounds and no he wouldn't make it out of the first probably so um and he even out of that 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 for that foursome there uh, of quarterbacks um he obviously has the highest rushing potential um, right. and prescott and burrow are, are solidly mobile but uh the, you know jackson of course is on another level and so and i i completely agree i mean he's he's a great a, a great pick at that point. And regardless of whether he has the contract or not, my view of him is he, he's, he's a prideful athlete, like all oh, guys man. that you are. If he, even if he does have the contract, he's going to be on a mission to validate it because, you know, after all the angling he's, he's done for it, he, he gets that contract. He's going to want to prove that he was worth it. Uh, he's not the kind to sit on those laurels at all. So. Right. Right. You yeah. know, I, he's one of my, arguably my favorite player right now, because as you know, I'm in politics, but when you look at Lamar Jackson, 
most kids don't see a black man. They see a role model. They don't realize they're looking at a role model, but they aspire. I mean, he's humble. He's God-fearing Christian. The reason I say that is if you say that publicly, you're going to get chastised by a lot of people, both on, on both sides. So he lives, He, I mean, he lives life to be Lamar Jackson, not to be somebody else, not to be who they want him to be. He doesn't even have an agent. Of course, I would tell him that's not the best thing to do. Right. He's his own man. And and I hope this kid wins a Super Bowl and MVP the, the most. I just hope he wins it all because now that we're older, I look at, to me, I'm like, that's what you need to look up to as a kid because that's who you want to be like somebody who gives a thousand percent who's who's like a duck uh with water just rolls off his back you know and he, he lives to be who he is not who we want him to be but i think at that point right there he was very i don't want to say undervalued but that's a that's to me the best pick that i'm looking at in that round anything else stick out yeah, I mean, looking what one thing I noticed here, going back to to Mike's uh, picks here at, at, uh, in the out of the first slot, is the I don't know if you picked up on this the uh, the four rookies in a row between round seven and ten were very interesting, and they all have there's a good argument to be made for all of them. Um, you know, Drake London. You know, we haven't talked the Falcons at all, but we know you know Marcus Mariota. Nobody's going to get too excited about an offense led by him, but the fact is, volume again, going back to opportunity and volume. I mean, London uh, should see, you know, no shortage of it uh, based on the needs that they have on that offense at, at receiver. Yeah. Uh, Chris Olav, uh, again, Michael Thomas, if he's back and really healthy and back to being uh, a player that defenses really have to worry about, then Olav could be a big beneficiary of that. He's got great physical skills. Jameis Winston, I think, is better than, than, than a lot of people give him credit for, can throw the deep ball well. So I think that that could be an interesting pairing. Uh, you know, Pierce uh, in Houston should have a good opportunity, definitely, uh, with the way that they looked last year at, on the ground. They've got Marlon Mack there now, but who knows how effective Mack can be. He's unfortunately had a very serious Achilles injury. Uh, he was a promising player at one point. And Rashad White, uh, while, you know, Fournette is the primary back going into the summer, Latest reports are, you know, last <laughs> last month at minicamp, he, he came in, you know, very overweight. It's interesting because he's an incredibly talented player and he, he can carry weight, but he, even the coaches were thinking oh. he's about 20 pounds too much. 30 so, pounds. Yeah. He came in 30 yeah. pounds overweight. It's like, mom, look, it's showing these big boys. No, yeah. so <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, and, and, and what happened? What did he get this offseason? Yeah, I mean, he got that, a I mean, new I, contract. Oh, yeah, well, he did get a three year deal. Yeah, exactly. And, so, and, and some security and thinking also as far as positional at the position because. Ronald Jones was, you know, finally moved on to Kansas City. He kind of uh, only had the rookie to worry about. But Rashad White in his senior year at, uh, you know, at Arizona State, I think it was, he was a, a very good two-way player that, you know, showed he could definitely catch the ball as well. He is going to be, uh, I think, have a bigger role than what over the course of the year. As long, again, he's another one, another rookie on Tampa Bay that the rule number one is you have to prove you can protect Brady and pick up pass right. protection schemes. But if he does that well and he can prove it, he's gonna. I think his role is gonna expand over the course of the year. So to grab him in the tenth round, my point is, is is a very interesting pick. The guy next to him, I will say, uh, for encore fantasy, uh, Irv Smith, forgotten guy by a lot of people because he missed all of last year after arthroscopic surgery, which isn't the usual thing that you see. But it'll be interesting with Kevin O'Connell now in in charge in Minnesota. They've got an offensive minded coach there for the first time in forever. 
Smith could really be an interesting, interesting player that uh, I think is going to surprise a lot of people. He's shown plenty of good, uh, of good uh, potential when he was healthy over the first two or three years. And then just last year was just a washout, but yeah. all accounts is he's back to full health and he's going to be interesting with, with the offense defenses worrying about, you know, Jefferson cook uh, feeling and having all these things to be concerned with. Right. And, uh, you and I, you and I both saw his dad play uh, for the saints. Or, I was wondering that. I'm like, yeah, is that Irv's yeah. kid? That's Irv's uh, son, yeah. And uh, uh, but I think he's a lot more athletic. He's a lot more athletic than than his dad. So yeah. okay, so 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 I, I agree with you. I think the 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 Pierce pick uh, is a very savvy pick because my concern, and this is what I told people. I don't know about again. I haven't once I sold the company. I went more business oriented things, but uh, there was a belief players who got paid one or two things would happen. The drive would still be there because they want a championship or they would get fat and happy. Looking at Fournette right now, 30 pounds overweight or from his playing weight, uh, after getting a contract, I can understand why the team is upset. You just signed your big contract. We put our faith in you and you come in 30 pounds overweight because people don't understand. You do not lose 30 pounds in one to two weeks. You lose 30 pounds in a couple of months at best. And even then you're eating perfectly. Football practice and other games and all that will help you lose the weight too. But you're kind of playing from behind, you know? So, right. so uh, I, I kind of view that as a savvy pit. Now, moving over to the late rounds, rounds 13 through 16 to wrap it up. Uh, before I get your opinion, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Do you expect uh, uh, Lawrence Taylor Lawrence Taylor, Trevor Lawrence to make uh, the the cut, the big leap this year. And Kirk Cousins, you brought up a very important point. He has Kevin O'Connell. A report came out this past week that Mike Zimmer didn't even like Kirk Cousins. And Mike Zimmer is a defense-oriented head coach. And let me tell you, people, after 20 years covering uh, the NFL heavily, if a defensive-minded head coach does not like certain players of the offense, there's a good chance that could afflict that offense in many ways that we don't see. Do you think Mike Zimmer may have held that offense back a bit? And do you think Kirk Cousins could have a resurgence with Kevin O'Connell? And do you think Trevor Lawrence makes the, the leap this year for the Jaguars? Well, I'll, I'll say like this, I guess, and I'm just che re-verifying, checking on, on Cousins' numbers over the last few years in Minnesota. I, I wouldn't say – holding back is maybe a little bit too strong of a term only because he really has, I mean, statistically it's for fantasy purposes, cousins has done pretty, pretty well. I mean, no Very doubt nice. about it. He's actually cut his interceptions back uh, over his time, uh, over his years in Washington. So I, I, but there's no question that perhaps um, just not having that priority, uh, you know, the guy at the top having maybe offense and that side of the ball as his main priority or just his main level of expertise uh, it, it may have hindered or may have put a cap on maybe on their potential. Uh, but again, Jefferson, you know, has had some great statistical years uh, under Zimmer and, and, and so is, uh, and so is Thielen. So, uh, you know, but there's room for improvement. There's no, I think that it would be safe to say that with players of that talent that they have on there, including cousins, there's definitely room for improvement under a guy who might come in and like basically shower them with attention. And which is what we've been hearing all off season is, 
that they really have been working on a lot of creative ways to get guys involved. Dalvin Cook, I heard, uh, you know, earlier in the offseason, splitting out wide now more often in certain formations, things like that. Things like that will, re- will invigorate an offense and offensive players too, and even that will help them play better and produce more sometimes. So Right, right. And yeah. hearing you talk, hearing you talk, it made me realize my question wasn't probably best suited for this forum because hearing you talk made me realize I have a belief of greatness. There are 10 zillion great players, but greatness are those who transcend that. Michael Jordans, Steph Curry, you know, those type of players. So when I look at Kirk Cousins, I guess I think the difference maker could be instead of Kirk Cousins being worried about making a mistakes in big games or the playoffs, he has a coach now who goes, throw it. I have the confidence in you. And it, it, it's that slim line where it's not the stats, but it's the attitude. And I'm wondering if O'Connell is going to bring that change to him. So wrong question for the wrong forum. But I think overall, I think O'Connell uh, 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 could, could could move him up enough to where instead of being one and done or maybe advancing the one-game playoffs, they become legit contenders. It's going to be fun to watch. But what about Trevor Lawrence? I mean, the guy just – I mean, he, it was just like a drama soap opera in Jacksonville – to where I think a lot of people, we don't really know what we're going to get out of Trevor Lawrence or, 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 or do you see a big jump? Right. I, I think, first of all, speaking of mindset and, and mentality and everything, I think his, his, he's excellent. I mean, really sometimes, you know, I'm sure you agree, uh, William, you're put in positions in life sometimes that you, you at first, you know, you want to, you're just tearing your hair out about, but some of them are, you're put in there specifically because you have, the wherewithal mentally and emotionally to handle them. And I think that's right. what Lawrence's situation was last year. Probably nobody could have handled all the different uh, turmoil that he was experiencing. It not, it, it, not just even in, in the, in the losses piling up, but of course all the issues with the head coaching and everything else, so much turmoil all year. And he pre- pretty much at least outwardly handled it as best as any, any rookie and top overall pick who already had plenty of, of pressure just based on that alone. And yet he handled everything with with real, uh, I think, uh, a real level head. And so I do see and believe that there's definitely room for him to make a big leap this year. And looking at the last three games of last year, uh, which included a game against the Patriots and against the Colts, of course, that that infamous uh, week 18 <laughs> game, uh, you know, his completion rate was up, you know, uh, over 60, 63 uh, percent or better in each of those games. He looked like he was uh, – he did throw three interceptions against the Patriots, but that that's not necessarily that surprising. Man, and he just – he handled – yeah. He, he handled himself, uh, you know, pretty well, showed some improvement considering that he also lost, I mean, early in the season, if I'm remembering correctly, lost DJ Chark to the broken finger early on. Uh, never had Travis Etienne uh, a uh, chance to even play with him because of the preseason uh, Liz Frank injury that he had. So he was he wasn't really playing with a full arsenal of weapons by any stretch. Now he's got Christian Kirk as you know we were talking about the Cardinals earlier. Uh, he he's actually a very a valuable pickup. He may be miscast as a pure number one guy, but um, I think that maybe this is going to be one of those receiving cores that the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Uh, right. Marvin Jones, Zay Jones. I mean guys that yeah you're not going to go crazy over per se, but maybe together. Under under Doug Peterson's uh, uh, schemes, they they work well potentially, and uh, don't want to fail to mention Evan Ingram uh, having come over also from the Giants, uh, a, a guy who's kind of I think his reputation has been that he's been a bust in some circles. When in reality, you look at his numbers, and he's he's handled himself about as good as he can with playing with a, a multitude of different coordinators and different offenses and, right. and, and subpar quarterback play at times. 
right? And you, in New York. It's incredible you say that because that's a great lesson for the difference of when we started, uh, they said, but back in the 90s and playing and all that, that type of information was next to possible to find. Now right. you can learn so much about a player from the previous offense. It, like when I would do uh, uh, rankings, I mean, nothing was off limits. I would look at who was offensive coordinators in college, you know, so so it's great to hear you talk right. about that. So out of those late rounds, I mean, most of them are pick, uh, kickers and, and defenses, but is there anybody out of those last from 13 to 16 that you look at and go, there's a steal, that guy could, uh, uh, could do something? Well, a couple of quarterbacks uh, come into play here. <laughs> you might have already spotted them, you know, so Tua and Matt Ryan in, in round 13, uh, I mean, I just couldn't find any reason to argue with either one of those. I, I do think, you know, uh, two is a, a guy we haven't even touched on, but he is he is a a, a kind of a, a polarizing type of a guy at this moment, uh, fantasy wise, because nobody's really sure what to make of him. And if he's been held back or not by by certain schemes, we're going to find out this year. I mean, I, I know that this is the year that he's going to feel some pressure on his shoulders because he knows that there's no excuses now. With with Tyreek and with the uh, with the improved offensive line with the with the revamped running back core, he really does have a, a great uh, I guess just a whole arsenal to choose from. And Jalen Waddle, you know, great great rookie year I, with Hill now next to him. I think he's going to be just amazing too. So I think too in this round is is there's just no way if it doesn't work out, you don't you just chalk it up to a you know the luck because and and Matt Ryan, you know, the same thing. I think all. all all signs seem to point to Ryan being a really good fit with Frank Reich. And I think he's going to be fine uh, there in Indianapolis and probably reinvigorated after playing in Atlanta for so long. Uh, now, of course, in round 15, I mean, the biggest name we're looking at there, we talked about him a lot already, is Watson. Uh, at this point in the draft, great right. pick like we talked about. <laughs> there that's it is. So there. Uh, that, that's can... waiver wire fodder if they don't work out. Right. Yeah. And he, in this point, you don't really lose much and that's it. You know, if it, if it, there's somehow a whole full season suspension handed down and there's an appeal that's flossed and it's just, that's it. He's not playing again for the second straight year. Then like you said, there's not, not a great cost to your roster at having taken him where you took him. And if he, and he even plays half the season and plays that and you have him in the fantasy playoffs available to you, it'll be just exactly. wonderful. Yeah. I, I got to be honest, uh, Juan, uh, I'm going one round early, but I'm looking at round 12 and Kirk Cousins and, and, and what I just said about him. And right. I'm, that could ultimately, uh, when you talk about the steal of the draft, people, their perceptions don't align with one another. Meaning you may look at it differently. I may look at it differently. But in how I look at the steal of the draft, I'm like, there's a candidate, Kirk Cousins, who right. could legitimately improve his already outstanding fantasy numbers to put him in the top tier. Uh, I'm not saying he will, but I'm saying at, at, in round 12, uh, uh, to back up Kyler Murray, that's a great pick because Kyler Murray, let's be honest, has injury history. He was a different quarterback without DeAndre Hopkins when he got hurt down the stretch. And to me, Kyler Murray, the player I see Kyler Murray is that infamous play now where he's getting sacked in the end zone and just throws the ball. But the reason I say that is he's got a big hole to overcome because everything that's come out about him is nothing, not much of it has been positive. So, and the reason I bring that up is because I think those are legit questions on Murray. I'm not saying it's going to be bad, but I'm saying there are legit questions. So to be able to grab Kirk Cousins in round 12, it's kind of like, you know, if Murray falls to the wayside, 
you can just slot Cousins in. I, I really do like that pick there. As far as uh, uh, Tua, I agree with you. I think we can look at Tua any which way possible and nobody can argue. But the one thing that is not arguable is that everything has been given to Tua for this season. He's got a pro-offensive style, uh, X's and O's, uh, superior intellect head coach of Mike McDaniels. You know, he's got Tyreek Hill. He's got a team that's now behind him vocally, publicly. Brian Flores never liked Tua, didn't want Tua. And I'm not going to say he sabotaged Tua, but he did nothing to help his growth. And and I think, uh, again, we talked about David Carr uh, earlier in terms of uh, that was bad offensive line, et cetera, et cetera. But the same effects and mental issues Tua was going through with a coach that just didn't want him or have confidence in him. So I don't know what we're going to get out of Tua, but I think that's going to be some fun football to watch, at least trying to figure it out, you know. Uh, so a final couple questions here. Draft winner, what teams do you think can compete for a championship? And it, it's a lot to absorb, so I'm not going to hold you to it. But is there a team that you look at that I like this team the best? Yeah, I'm going again with, you know, Mike Clay uh, at ESPN and his his whole, you know, collective uh, roster there I really like. I mean, there were some other good late ones that we didn't talk about with him, uh, Rob and Robbie Anderson and Josh Palmer, who could end up being players that actually surprise this year. And uh, and he has it looks like uh, if I'm reading, well, you know, he's got the uh, the two quarterbacks. Right. So he's got Mahomes, you know, at the top of the uh, of the depth chart there. So if he holds up and he's healthy. I think even though he may not be as prolific as when he had Hill, there's going to be plenty of production from, from him as usual. Um, and in looking, uh, just trying to find a, another kind of potentially good uh, challenger uh, there for him. Um, just trying to see, you know, the quarter, I always tend to, to also look at the quarterback position as a really key uh, oh. a key situation there. So yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. While you're thinking that, yeah. What's your take of the huddle with Corey Bonini and Ryan Bonini? Corey used to work for me and Ryan was my partner yeah. at one time. So I'm just curious. They, I left the industry. They stuck around, which was in uh, a, a little side story, Juan, when we, before we sold and all, we talked about our future, this or that. And I'm like, Man, this is my career. I'm a fantasy guy. I love this. You know, I walked away, got into politics. They said, oh, screw this. I, I want to go do something different. And they both end up making careers. It's you never know what life's going to bring you, you know? What do you think of right. that? Right. No, I do. I, I like that. I was actually, when you mentioned them, I was actually in that column taking a look at it because that start that they had with Mixon and Mike Evans, I, I really liked. Um, I'm not necessarily, you know, Damian Harris uh, is one of these timeshare situations yeah. that worry me. Uh, Allen Robinson worries me to an extent, even though he's going to a, a much improved, uh, definitely a big improvement in his surroundings and his offensive uh, environment. But uh, whether he's going to be the same player that he was earlier in his career, I think is still kind of up for debate. Uh, I love the Burrow pick, though, as we talked about earlier. And, uh, you know, th these guys, there's just a lot of question marks for me down near the bottom. Although I think then the Joko pick at, at the point that it came, uh, you know, in, in the in the 14th round is one that could pay off nicely just because he does have talent. He's always had talent. It's just been a matter of, you know, can the quarterback and, and, and him sync up. And it depends, again, if he's playing with Brissett or if he's, is he playing with Watson. That's the big right, question. Right. But other than – I like the first – the top half of their draft in particular. Um, I did like uh, most of those most of those uh, players. Devin Singletary, I think, is one that's uh, taken at a nice – the sixth round is a good pick. 
Um, I was looking at actually my Rotowire colleague, uh, Nick Whalen as well. Good friend okay. of uh, Nick Whalen. He's, he's got uh, the running back position. I mean, if, if Swift is actually healthy and used in, in that bell cow role, I mean, that he, everybody's believed that he's got all the talent in the world. And it's just a matter of uh, an improved, you know, maybe supporting cast around them, avoiding the injury bug. Him and Chubb as a one-two punch as, at, on your roster is certainly a nice way to start. Williams Waddle is also, I like, as, as a receiver, and Dak Prescott at quarterback. And Michael Carter all the way down in the eighth round, I thought was an interesting, just based on his rookie season, I thought that was a very interesting pick because I think his role might grow this year. Albert O, uh, you know, down in the 11th round, uh, we talked about him potentially being a breakout tight end because of Russell Wilson. So, uh, and Donovan Peoples-Jones, I, I like a lot of his, uh, his sleeper picks there because I think Peoples-Jones uh, could, you know, with Cooper potentially drawing some attention, I think Peoples-Jones could blossom. He, he yeah. showed he showed some potential last year. Yeah, I, I, I got to be honest. I agree with you and all that. I, I kind of disagree slightly with my, my peers and with the Bonini brothers, only because I don't have a belief as much as you sh don't fool yourselves when your team is built on, well, if this happens, this guy's going to do this. If this happens, if happens, right. your, 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 your team is built around that. Statistically, it's not going to happen. So that always right. concerns me. I like, I don't mind those questions with a deep receiver core or my final two running backs or things of that nature, but I, I wish them luck. Uh, I think these are, it's funny. I, I know half of these companies, the other half are new companies. This is an industry that's, that's right. really changing, but I recognize 80% of the names as people who I started out with. So it's good uh, to see yeah. actually still hanging in there and the old timers doing well. I was going to point out one more other thing that just came to my mind here in looking at full-time fantasy uh, at the very last uh, pick of the rounds. Um, I really find it interesting. If you, if you follow along there, something very interesting happened. I think they really made the best out of a, out of a potentially bad situation. Taking, you know, going full tilt on receivers with Stefan Diggs, Devontae Adams, DJ Moore in the first yeah. three picks was really was really interesting and risky. And then, and, oh, and then Darnell Mooney right after and Russell Gates. So with the first five picks, then, you know, the, they knew they were going to have to settle, I'm sure, for, for some second-tier running backs. But th th this is a little bit into what you're saying, the hypotheticals where, you know, you can't really bank on that. But Tony Pollard, James Cook, Melvin Gordon, they probably made the best out of what they could in that situation and then still grab Russell Wilson in round, in round 10. Uh, I kind of, uh, you know, I kind of like the fact that they took a risk and it, it seemed it could pay off. It could pay off, although Pollard... Cook and Gordon are all in clear timeshare situations. So, right, right. And, yeah. and that's a great example of that. Uh, for yeah. myself, personally speaking, when I see somebody draft that many receivers early on, uh, I don't put much confidence in them. Not this team per se, as that's a general rule I have, because to me, receiver is one of the deepest positions. And that's the position, the number three receiver, uh, whether a number three receiver starter or a flex position, that's the matchup I'm always looking week to week matchups. So, so. It's like I believe the receiver position is the one position. If you missed out on that top tier player, uh, uh, you can bake it up on the back end with sleepers. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you can make up the back end of your running backs or 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 or, uh, or potentially other positions by going so receiver heavy. But that's why we play the game. 
And right. See, yeah. they can turn it around with a strong waiver wire. Uh, there's no trades allowed, but with a strong waiver wire. Uh, Jose, I, I had to ask you, uh, 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 Jose, <laughs> why? Uh, you know, us Latinos, we're all the same. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your full name? Is Carlos your middle name? Juan Carlos, it's actually, uh, as we say in Spanish, un, un nombre compuesto. You know, it's it's it, that is my actual name. Is full name is Juan Carlos. So, Got but it. I no, need but to you didn't take the mother's maiden name. You didn't add that one in at the end. No, no, I, I've always gone yeah by my dad's uh, last name. So, uh, in the industry, I've gone. I depending on how it goes, I'll, I'll go by Juan Blanco, Juan Carlos Blanco, both ways. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have two birth certificates, an American and a Panamanian one. And obviously, I right. go with the American one being born a citizen, but my American right. one or my Panamanian one's William del Pilar Dominguez, you know? Right. And I never understood why until my mother explained to me, oh, that's your Panamanian. You actually have records on the Panamanian side also. I'm like, oh, right. You know, but uh, uh, thank you for coming on, Juan. I'd love to have you on again every so often just to talk what's happening in the news, but I do know you are an extremely Busy man, and you are a grinder. And, and for everybody, when I say somebody's a grinder, that's the ultimate compliment, you know. So, so Juan, where can people go see your work? Sure. Well, uh, let's see. We're going to run down the list here a bit. So, Rotowire, you mentioned so Rotowire.com. I mean, I cover uh, there. I guess you could say is the the widest uh, uh, breadth of of the sports that I cover are all there because there's some baseball on there from me. Uh, some uh, usually an NFL season as well, uh, some football coverage, CFL right now, which I'm doing, the USFL that just wrapped up, uh, NBA when that's in season. So uh, just finished doing some summer league uh, this past week as well. So uh, there's usually there's something year round from me on there uh, on Rotowire. In addition to that, as far as on the sports betting side too, there uh, the lines.com and uh, now uh, CFL. Uh, dedicated site called three down nation.com to find my CFL picks on there every week. Uh, there's NJ.com for New Jersey. In other words, New Jersey.com doing some Yankees and Mets uh, picks there uh, uh, Monday through Friday on the baseball side. So, and there'll be probably some NFL work on there too in the fall. So uh, those are the, the, some of the main sites, but also on, on rotoballer.com doing a, a weekly a DFS baseball article on Wednesdays. And the gameday.com is the final one that I'll, I'll include now, which is uh, another one where I kind of spread out to different sports as well. I did a USFL picks column there this year and uh, probably be doing some NFL betting picks as well again this fall. So that's kind of the, the whole list uh, on Twitter. It's at JC Blanco 22. So that's kind of where I, I tweet out all the uh, links to all the articles. And, and we'll put that at the bottom. We, we have room for yep. one spot. And that's what I was thinking of putting because that lists all where you, you can find and discover your writing. Uh, yeah. As an old boss, I will tell you, you should set up a web page that lists all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea. That's true. That's definitely true. And, you know, I was going to say, well, thank you very much. I definitely want to, uh, would love to come back, especially as the season unfolds. We always know there's a bunch of surprises and left turns in fantasy that, you know, always bear discussing and going over. And, and so we would, you know, definitely be, I think it would be a great idea to potentially get touch base every so often. Right, in addition to, yeah, I, I was going to say it's been great in particular to be able to kind of a unique experience for us to get together and do this just again because you were one of my first points of contact in this industry literally uh i still have the emails as i, as I mentioned to you from 2003 to to prove it in my yahoo inbox so you oh, know wow. it's uh 
well, that makes I me feel good. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's def- I really appreciate uh, everything you've done for the industry, and it's it's just been great uh, conversation tonight. Definitely. Well, 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 thank you for coming on, and for everybody else, you have been listening to Points on the Board. You can go to our website, sportsgrumblings.com. My political podcast, Fired Up, is on there. My partner, uh, John Georgopoulos, another industry pioneer, has big questions with Big John. And we're going to be putting more podcasts up as well. And in the next week, we're going to be putting out our wanted ad because we are going to be looking for podcasters, writers, etc. So I look forward to hearing from all of you and Mr. Juan Carlos Blanco. Uh, I'm going to add in Smith at the end. Juan Carlos Blanco Smith. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being on and we look forward to you coming back. And everybody else, you all have a wonderful night. Good night. Thank you, William. 